founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to today's podcast. Today, Jordan and I are joined by Josh Allison, Managing Principal of Novus Architects, and Tommy Smith, Founder and CEO of Novus Architects. Tommy started his company in his living room with one client in 1992. With three years on the Inc. 5000, Novus has become a premier firm in the Southeast, specializing in healthcare, commercial, and residential services. Josh and Tommy, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Glad to be Thanks here. Having us. Yeah, thank you for Tommy, having us. Tommy, I would love to start with you and just get a little bit of the background on how Novus came to be. What were the series of events that led you to start this firm? Gosh, coincidentally, um, this was even before I got your email. It reminded me I had this meeting today. Uh, I was talking to my wife uh, <clears throat> about, about how it kind of came about. And I always wanted to, kind of had it in me to, to start a business, and I was just concerned about where the clients would come from, you know. Um, sure. How, how can you keep a steady, you know, stream of work? My The guy I worked for right out of college um, had a construction company. He just go out and design a house and build a house. We ran out of other work. And so we, uh, I sort of built up a, a relationship with a client, uh, North American Biologicals. They're actually, uh, uh, we're based not far from here where I am today in South Florida. And um, so I built up a relationship with them, took it from one project in Charleston. We were doing projects kind of all over the firm I was with at the time and and the chief operating officer turned to me one day and he goes, Tommy, you know, we work with you. And it just sort of a light bulb turned on that, wow, this is maybe, you know, a good chance for me to, to do something. And so I looked at the different options. I actually had two or three different options open. One was going to work for a healthcare firm, uh, healthcare system rather. And sure. then the other was um, uh, to stay where I was and to grow the career there. And the third was to just strike out on my own. So obviously I took the option to strike out on my own with that client. Um, we're still doing work with them today. Wow. Um, they were bought by a, um, an Australian company, which happens to now be the largest uh, or second largest, depending on what day of the week it is, uh, company uh, based in Australia, publicly traded company in Australia. So there's a little luck involved here. And then also, you know, obviously uh, having a good team to be able to ride those coattails for um, over 28 years now. And, um, but, uh, but that's sort of how it came about with that client started building up other clients, uh, over time yeah. and, um, you know, just step-by-step. Step. <clears throat> so when you first, when you first took the leap and you had that initial client that gave you the courage and maybe even the cash flow to initially jump into that, was that enough? Was that one client enough to kind of see you through the beginnings of learning how to go get clients on your own? Or were you immediately having to pound the pavement and figure out how to actually get new clients? No, it's actually turned out to be a pretty good thing. Um, we had some projects in progress and, you know, there was, they were on a building program and, you know, I hadn't really mapped it all out yet, how it was going to work. And I can't remember the timing, but within the first month or two, they said, well, we're putting a hold on all new projects. And, you know, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound too good. <laughs> um, but fortunately they had enough work, um, you know, the ongoing work that they transitioned to me. Um, to keep me going for whatever period of time it was. And that first year was a, you know, it was a decent year. I may have gotten some other projects. I had a contractor that started sending me work pretty early, early on. Uh, and he also had a healthcare connection. He sort of got me into the healthcare side of things. 
Um, so yeah, there was never, you know, I had contingency plans. I was going to work on the house or do whatever it is that, you know, <laughs> that I never had a chance to do as it turned out. But, uh, uh, but anyway, it, it all worked out good, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it, a sign of things to come. The, the changes, the, the stops and starts of clients are, you know, they're, they're still ongoing. So, yeah. So when you think back to that period and then we'll catch up uh, to where Josh joins the picture, but when you think back to those early first few years, you know, even as you're having that conversation with your wife and you're kind of taking that trip back down memory lane, what emerges? Like what, what, what thoughts come back to what characterized those early years of this business for you? Yeah, it was, um, you know, just a constant, um, you know, reframing of whatever the picture was, um, you know, trying to, um, you know, take opportunities as they came, um, make as much, most out of, out of them as, as I could, as we could, mm. um, you know, it was, um, you know, we probably got up to, before Josh got here, I think we were probably somewhere between 10 and 15 people, maybe closer to 10. Um, and of those 10 people that were there then, um, nobody has been there consistently, like, con continuously since then. We got a couple of boomerangs that were with us and it came back. And, um, <laughs> but anyway, they, uh, you know, so it was sort of a staff turnover. We we're just trying to sort it out. I, I took on a, a partner. I had a guy, uh, inter you know, put an ad out in paper for somebody and it was sort of a guy that could do it all. Um, he came in and he was bringing work with him. And, um, I was like, well, if you can bring work with me, I'll make you a partner. And that's where the S, the G, and the M came from that um, that Josh talked about. So um, that was uh, another guy, Robert Gerber, who's a great marketer, business development guy. I was sort of the business guy. And then not long after that, uh, I was on the local architect board, AIA board, uh, with Arnie McClure. And um, he was a very talented, fluent designer. And so that's where SGM came from. That's where we... I uh, got the first Inc. 5000. We were actually Inc. 500 uh, in 2000, I think 460 or something like that. Wow. We, we, so we grew rapidly in that form. And it was a wild, wild ride um, for an architectural firm to, um, uh, you know, to, to be able to produce good work, to go out and get work, handle the cash flow, all those types of things as we grew to around 30, 35 people um, mm. in that time frame. So it was a lot of fun. It was it was different. Um, and uh, but anyway, it was a it was sort of a um, a, a, a ride, I should say. So. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. flipping. Go ahead, Jordan. Oh, sorry, man. Curious, uh, curious question. Just on something you mentioned, and even getting to that Inc. Five, I guess Inc. Five hundred uh, in two thousand, and you mentioned Gerber. I think it was. It was kind of mm -hmm. the marketing, and you were in the biz dev. Like, what did you learn, or what did he bring to to the table on the marketing side of things. Cause that's such a, a differentiator, at least to me in terms of uh, something that you need to be, be able to do really well, that might actually make you the company that grows fast versus somebody else. What were some of the things that were done then that were really differentiating things on the marketing side that, that sets you guys up to succeed? He, um, you know, he just had a marketing spirit, you know, he just never met a stranger. Um, you know, again, I was sort of a numbers guy, you know, yeah the handle on the finances and you know tried to make sure we were writing good contracts and all that kind of stuff um handling you know everything i could so he, he just was just a natural at it um he had a passion for church work so a lot of the work that we got uh, back then was church related um but you know also brought in a lot of other things he was a competent architect um 
And, um, you know, so he, you know, went out and won some work for us with some uh, government clients, as I remember at that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that was a, a good, you know, part of our uh, business structure at that time. I had developed a healthcare client by that time that we still have. Uh, we'd have many more now. Um, yeah. So that's part of our workflow. Uh, repeat clients has been where I thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting in, finding out what clients need, um, where we can provide value, continuously re- reanalyzing that scenario um, and trying to prove it every day. Uh, yep. the business and that's that's sort of where I've thrived um, in my world um, yeah. and um, um, once uh, you know Robert um, left and then the other partner Arnie left in the early 2000s um, you know we were we were with that um, you know repeat business type thing and and yep. uh, Josh has brought in uh, he was he was over business development for a while he's brought in some of that but uh, but cool. back then yeah it was a, it was a you know it was a really you know it was a good team uh, which we have today it was a different yeah. team and um, you know but it, but those were the strengths and we um, we used all of those to uh, to our benefit and um, mm-hmm. kind of were able to break out of that small firm box into a mid-sized firm and did crazy yeah. things like uh, we had a client that wanted to take us out to um, Portland Oregon to do um to do Rite Aid pharmacies and we'd done a bunch of Rite Aid pharmacies in the southeast and they uh, had bought a thrifty payless of west coast pharmacy chain so we showed up knocked on the facilities guide door in, in out there in portland and <clears throat> said hey you know we'd, we'd like to do work for you out here because it wasn't for the developer it was actually for Rite Aid he said are you nuts you know <laughs> um, we only work with firms that have a presence here in portland so i put an ad in the paper and we went out and found a guy to run the office out there and we ended up doing quite a bit of work in Portland, Oregon. And it was a lot of fun flying out to Portland. And um, I went out there probably six, eight times a year. And uh, we started a Charlotte office not long after with a guy that wanted to move to Charleston. And we said, well, would you wait a little while and start a firm for us in Charlotte? And he did. And that was successful too. And so we had a a good ride in that form, in that shape. And that was the early years when Josh got here as a, as a young architect, he was, yeah. he was part of that scenario, um, the, the results of that scenario back then. Yeah, cool. Josh, you, you mentioned before we started recording how you two met, but I'd love just to, to recap for the audience uh, where, where you came into the picture and, and not just how you guys met, but even what was the, what was the state of the business at that, part, at that point and what did your first job there look like? Sure, sure. And I'll, t- I'll just, you know, quick. Um, so how I got down to South Carolina from upstate New York, I actually did my undergrad stint at University of Buffalo and and worked for a year for a architect up there. And, and uh, he was actually roommates with um, President Barker, Jim Barker at the time, yeah, who was wow. the old president and uh, back in the 60s. And just said, hey, you know, I, I saw that you're, you know, applying for master's programs up in the Northeast. Why don't you check out Clemson and hopped in my car and drove down there and and uh, left about six or eight inches of snow and rolled around the corner, probably 70 degrees and people are outside, you know, throwing the yeah. preview around. And I just said, forget it. I'm not ever going back to New York ever again. So, <laughs> you know, went to Clemson, yes. got, loved it, absolutely loved, you know, the, the you know, Best. the university there. Yeah, loved just absolutely everything about it. Um, and then Clemson puts together a job fair every single year. They've been doing it for, you know, forever. And um, SGM was there, happened to be there, which is you know now Novus Architects, and and um, you know sat down. Actually, Michael Janaski, who's one of the boomerangs that Tommy talked about, was actually one of the people that interviewed me at the time, and and fell you know just was really interested in the work that they were doing, which was 
which was a lot of different work. It was office, it was worship, it was just kind of across the board, you know, the, the, um, the plasma donor work that Tommy just mentioned. So, you know, it was really just interesting because I wasn't too sure what I really wanted to get into and, and um, you know, drove to Charleston. I think it was probably March, maybe it was before, you know, I graduated in June and interviewed and met Tommy and the office and it was a growing office. So it was just, you know, just that energy that was within the office. I just was really excited about and also just the culture. I mean, it was just down to earth, um, very transparent culture. Tommy's is something that Tommy's instilled in me and, and in our culture for forever is just you know honesty and transparency which just i really appreciated so mm. um just couldn't turn it down and um you know uh, took the job and started in june and went from there so i love it well what i'm curious about is i know it's not uh apples to apples necessarily but my so my dad was an architect major uh, at auburn university and then um started to kind of be in the architecture field and realized he didn't as much like that as much as he did the construction in general and managing stuff. And so he ended up uh, taking over and then owning his own commercial roofing business in Atlanta for 30 some odd years. And just reflecting back with him on his story, he built a, a very successful company. It was always clear to me that he had um, somewhat of a differentiator in terms of business philosophy that seemed to help him a lot. Right. Sometimes it hurt, but it often it was it helped him. And for him, it was quality work. He just kept saying there's so many people out here uh, doing crappy work that he was always going to do exactly what he said, do it for what he built them at, own all his mistakes if there were some. And then he always quoted a fair, uh, you know, had a, a had a fair quote. Right. Um, and I just look back and remember thinking like, wow, that really did over time differentiate him from the competition. And you guys have mentioned some se several similar things. Uh, and I was just curious if there was that line of thinking for you in terms of building your architecture firm and differentiating yourself from the competition. Are there certain guiding kind of business philosophies that you guys have stuck to uh, again and again that have paid off for you? Well, um, you know, the one I, that sticks in my mind um, was from, you know, from almost from day one was take care of the client and, and you'll be taken care of. Um, mm -hmm as long as we kept the focus on our client, um, you know, that, that everything was going to be okay. Now my mantra is I need to take care of our staff and then our staff will take care of our clients and then, you know, I'll get taken care of. So, um, you know, so that's probably the one that sticks in my mind from the early days. And we, we went a long time without vision statements and, uh, you know, things like that values. We've just, we've just now got them in the last year or two. And I think they really, you know, we just, I just struggled with it over the years. What is our sure. What is it? And, you know, as long as things were going good, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, well, we don't know, but it's working, you know, and yeah. that went on it's for a, a long time. We, we can't really peg it. At least I couldn't. Uh, we yeah. always ask people, what is it that brought you here? You know, and, and why, why do you like it? You know, and clients and staff and things like that. Um, so, but anyway, I know that's, that's the one that, you know, going way back um, that, that stuck with me. And I think that still yeah. holds true today um, along with the, the, the values that, that are based on trust uh, yeah, day that we uh, that we are now uh, focused on. Yeah, yeah celebrate you guys. I, what I love about it is one that already shows your transparency and your honesty that Josh was talking about as to why your company is great. Is you just kind of say like, hey, we hadn't really had the vision values thing, but just that sense of um, what Drew and I both would would stress when we're helping somebody with answering those questions for the for the company as well would be that they have to be discovered. You can't just create them, and so that thought of like 
you already had them, you were already living them in, in some way, like, okay, you didn't have them stated, but that it did, it, it already was differentiating you. And I think yes. that's the tough thing with that, with the other company that might be struggling and they're going, oh, we, it, our issue is we don't have vision and values. It's like, no, it's there. It's like, whatever we do is either you're going to be creating something false or we're going to be discovering something that maybe mm-hmm. just isn't compelling yeah. and you're going to have to face that reality. And right. that could be a, that's yeah. a different conversation. I think what's cool about you guys is like, one, that you're showing your value of transparency, trust, honesty, just in sharing that to our audience, but also that that there was something there already. And that's it. It's like, there was something there. We just had to discover it. We had to get some wordsmithing. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, Josh, as you've reflected on it, what what are some of that? You, maybe it's the same. Maybe you see it slightly different. No, what are some I, of the I secret sauce? I see it very similar to Tommy. I mean, I just would put it in that we're a relationship company. I mean, that's what it comes down to, to me. I mean, we just, you know, and, and Tommy mentioned it how we have repeat clients. It's just, you know, these clients, every, everything that we do, whether it's somebody just said, Hey, we want to put a nursing station in that, and that's all we really want to do. We're just going to go down there, understand why they need it, you know, what they're doing it for. You know, this is not a one-off project for us. This is let's figure out what their needs are as a business. Let's figure out who they are. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, we're getting another project or we're getting another project. And then before you know it, we're friends with these people. I know their families. I know, you know, our clients become almost like our family at the end of the day, because it's just becomes just this relationship that we have. And we've known people for, you know, I know I've known people here for 15, 20 years, you know, the same people. And, and you know, it's just easy to pick up the phone and, and talk about, you know, how their daughter's doing in college and to have seen them grow. And mm. and it just starts off with these really small things. But it's it's with that mindset that you're going to do the best job as you can as possible no matter what, and and not saying, oh, this is just a, a you know, a, a $10,000 job, fee job, whatever, we're not going to really care about that. It's, this is, a, this is so important to this client. And it's so important to me now. And that's why I'm just going to put everything I can into it. So I love that. Well, we hear that often um, on this podcast that, that, you know, relationships matter most, right. And that, that really has been a secret uh, sauce, if you will, of, of long-term good business. But I'm curious, I'm always curious anytime something is almost uh, common wisdom that's not commonly followed, what the breakdown is, right? So it makes sense in my head that like, yeah, relationships would be a key to business, but where have you seen or where could you imagine that value getting challenged and maybe someone living out a different, you know, not choosing that value? Yeah, um, you know, because, you know, relationships are, are key, but again, you have to understand the value. Relationships are, the, you know, they're sort of the grease to the wheels, you know, um, and, it, and it makes everything work easier for our clients. And for us, we can be more cost effective because we have this good relationship with our clients. When they say yellow, brown, green, we hear yellow, brown, green, you know, and we don't get it wrong. You know, it, it's it just aids in communication. So it's all about providing value to whatever that organization needs value in. So relationship is sort of a mutual, has to be a mutual back and forth means to an end of providing service at a better cost or a better or higher service at, at a better value or whatever at the end of the day. It all boils down to value. Mm. So. I kind of wanted to make sure that that the differentiators out there for any company that's kind of thinking about it, you always have to understand and look somebody in the eye and say, am I providing value? Mm. And, you know, it's great to have a relationship and all that kind of stuff and do good things and be friends and be able to, you know, go out and have dinner or whatever it is that you do. But if you can't, you know, say to yourself that, that I am, I understand how I'm providing value and I get it 
And this mm. client is telling me how we provide a value over other people they might have worked with in the past. You know, that is sort of the, the secret sauce that we're looking for is yeah. to say, what is it that we have that, that, that this client is looking for and how can I make that better? Um, and, and then, you know, so for me, it was, it was the opposite of, of starting out with vision and, and mission and values and things like that. It was like, I was always on a search for the value and, uh, and then let the value, as you mentioned earlier, Drew, dictate, you know, kind of where these, uh, things were not that we don't have values, not, we didn't have that. It was all sure. but based on serving the client first and finding out what their specific value need was that we as architects could provide. Yeah. It's interesting. The, um, there's a, there's an equation I like, it's called uh, the trust equation and there's, I've seen different forms of, of something similar. Um, but it's interesting. It talks about credibility plus reliability plus intimacy kind of divided by your self orientation that equals the amount of trust. And oftentimes when we talk about like relationships and relationships matter, uh, you could quickly like, potentially deceive yourself to thinking we're just talking about the intimacy piece. Like we're just talking about friendliness and connection and like the enjoyment, but there's so much, I think a lot of times we're really talking about like trust. We're talking about like the credibility that like, right. You can deliver the reliability that you're going to do exactly what, you, what you're going to say. And mm-hmm. then oftentimes the piece that's missing is realizing that it's all divided by self-orientation so that when your self-orientation goes lower, your trust increases. So if your self-orientation increases in terms of you start to look at yourself, you start to take care of yourself, not take care of the customer. You start to take care of yourself, not take care of your team member. Mm. Well, trust actually diminishes when you start acting for yourself instead of for somebody else. Well, then trust begins to to break away. And I think that's what I hear you guys talking about is, is that like creation of trust. Mm -hmm. We got to be able to deliver like valuable, good work. They're like, when we say it, this is what people are going to get. And they trust that. But there's also intimacy there too. We have good relationships, good connections, so that people actually want to keep coming back to us. I think people miss that side of things all the time. They miss the intimacy side of like, hey, you could have a relationship beyond just the transaction. You know, mm-hmm. you can have that that extra thing that makes sure that you're going to get the phone call the next time that somebody has some work, and they're not just going for what's the lowest bid. I think that's a, a powerful thing that I hear from you guys as well. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what always stuck out to me again about my dad this is the first time i brought my dad's business up on this business podcast (laughs) but but it's just so i feel like i'm talking to similar people that i respect but i was always so curious because he was never the low bidder or very rarely was he the low bidder yet he won jobs like the atlanta airport the the um, georgia dome things like that as not the low bidder and it was because of the trust that these people ended up having in him like he will get it done the right way because usually the low bidder you know ends up when all is said and done actually cost you way more (laughs) from mistakes yeah. and from late charges and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, what? I, here's why I'm curious. I'll come back to this. I'm curious about why a year or two ago, what, however long it was ago, did you say, hey, it's time to kind of sit down and think through vision and values and uh, what led to that being um, a worthwhile pursuit about a year ago? Yeah, I, again, maybe I'll, I'll speak to that. Um, you know, it wasn't like we hadn't thought about it, talked about it for the last 10 years. It just, they just never seemed to gel and, and hit the right note. And we may have even published it once or twice. Um, you know, it, it's probably when, um, you know, Josh took over about two and a half years ago, we were in that 50 to 60 kind of category range um, and just, you know, realized that we had to, had to, had to 
you know, it was no longer a one-on-one -on -one type office scenario. It was a one-on 77 or one-on whatever it was, 60, 65. And we, just, we really needed to be able to better communicate who we were and it mm. became essential that we do this. And, um, and so um, I wasn't at this retreat. We do annual retreats, Josh led it. I think it was two years ago now, Josh. That's um, right, yeah. We probably just came on board and they did sort of a round the table uh, thing with, you know, with everybody sort of helping to create what the values were. And, um, you know, we, I sort of took that, uh, I guess maybe a little over a year ago now and, um, and along with our executive team. And we sort of took those, some of those thoughts and we ingrained them into the values. And, um, and then the vision sort of just kind of came about as to what our vision needed to be. And um, lots of C12 meetings, that's sort of a group that I'm part of as a chief executive group, Josh is part of it as well. And, and you know, you start hearing these things, they pound into you over and over again, you realize you, yeah. then you start understanding what and why a vision statement is all about, what and why values are all about, what and right. why a uh, mission statement is all about. And, you know, so it makes it easier to write it when you, when you have that deeper understanding as opposed to just a mission statement. Okay, I get it. I read a few. Yeah. Um, so all of those things sort of came together uh, at once. And we're currently in a, uh, our newsletter series. So our values are the trust with T being for team, R being for renew, U being for unique, S for service, and T for transparency. So yeah. um, we're going through our newsletter and we're going down the list as explaining what those things mean to us. Our executive team is doing that currently. So we can sort of instill those as much as possible with the entire 77 people. Um, and um, again, it, those are all things that are drivers that, that when somebody has yeah. to make a decision on a daily basis, please think about our values and let those things guide you as you make your decision and, you, and you're a front for the company, um, whoever you are. And uh, so- well, that's the only time they're valuable, right? Like when when values are actually taken into consideration in the decisions that we make are the only times values matter. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, they're literally just fodder on the website or on the wall. On the wall, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but but get, but things change. And so 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 uh, a friend of ours was in uh, Silicon Valley for years, CFO, CEO of some major tech companies, and I was so encouraged to hear from him that he said the actual business grew dramatically when they made that transition from values being on the wall to employees knowing and, ha and like really wrapping their minds around that this was the guiding principles for their decisions. And they went as far as to say, uh, we will never fire you for a decision you made that you could justify was made out of a, out of a value, uh, but we will for sure let you go for decisions you make that you can't tie back to a value, right? And I just thought that was so interesting. He was like, it wasn't just a feel good thing. We w literally watched because we got the right values like you guys did. We watched our profitability, all of that actually grow as a result of that. And I thought that was so fascinating because it can be seen in that ambiguous, um, not important conversation, right? Um, so Josh, I'm curious for you, what was that like? You sound, sounds like you were a part of spearheading that, that initiative as well. Uh, what was that process like for you helping the company discover some of these um again it's it's just it, it was more of how we can as a executive management team how can, and tommy said this how we can wrap our arms around a set of values in which you know everybody can buy into and and we're doing this as we're already a growing company I and mean, people are already there people are already doing these things so how can we you know understand and that's what that's where this retreat came from that tommy talked about the firm wide retreat is is you know in my head, I have what we, you know, what I think our values are three years ago, let's say it was there. And I just, 
you know, but there, there, there's always that scary part is, is that, geez, it does everybody, is everyone thinking the same way? You know, is this what our culture is? Is, are people going out there and doing this? You know, so when we started the process and we started writing it down on some, some scratch paper during the retreat, you know, it was, it's, it's amazing when you kind of have this unified message that starts coming across. And then when, you know, Tommy, you know, when we took it as the management team and we just looked at everything and just, again, it's just, it was it was neat to see that it was actually already working and and you know and we all were just talking earlier about how you know we never had those those values but they were already happening so again it's just putting pen to paper and writing them down and and really kind of again as we're a growing company as we're hiring people you know that culture is just of the um you know of the utmost importance so you know again making sure that people that we're interviewing are buying into it you know, that they're going to be in lockstep with how we're acting as a company and what we're doing out there forward facing. So, you know, it's just good to have them written down and, and, you know, out there so people can see. Yeah. Have you guys found any practice, uh, a contentional practice yet that's been helpful for taking it off the wall and seeing it really get uh, brought into top of mind for your people? I, I can quick just answer one of those. Like, let's take transparency for an ex, for example. Is I think it starts from the you know I'll say the top or the management team down, and we have a high level of transparency in the company when it comes to our financial books. We will open them up and show everybody how we're doing in the company. You know, we talk about things that you know if we're if we're having a tough month, we're talking about it with everybody in the company. If we're having a great month, we're talking the same thing. If we're having problems with wherever. You know, it's it's we're celebrating the good with the bad, and and again, you know, you talk about. I think again, as soon as we start getting this out there, um, people start picking it up, and then you realize at a meeting, somebody might have had a mistake on a drawing. Geez, I did make a mistake on that drawing, mm. and and let's talk about it. You know, and 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 I'm gonna you know raise my hand and and actually you know maybe celebrate that a little bit, and and that's when we start kind of seeing that happen. You know, to me is is that when people are. And, and again, I'm just taking transparency for, for that example, sure, you, sure. Know, um, you know, that, that it begins to kind of flow through the company. And, and again, it, I think it just starts with leadership and, mm. and the ability to be able to do that because, you know, going back all the way to what we were talking about with our clients and, and I was going to say lip service is, is we just don't want to have lip service all day long. You know, we don't want to just talk about things and not be those things. So. Absolutely. Well, again, the advantage you guys have is that you actually embody the values so yeah. again, we can't stress that enough, how, how it, it's one thing to try to create a secret formula that everybody wants. It's another thing to discover the secret formula of the thing that everybody already wants, right? Like there's only one soft drink company that's protecting their formula and that's Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> like no one else, Mountain Sorry, Dew man. is not protecting its secret formula. Like <laughs> they can open source that and no one would touch it. Right. Uh, but Coke is. And so what's the advantage you guys have is you actually embody these values strongly and that it is a competitive advantage that actually brings value. What I would wonder and what I could see is that that leads to an osmosis transfer of values, which again is if we start with best, what that would be best is that it's so true about you guys and the way you lead that values would get passed on through almost osmosis, just being around you. But I, I it's smart that you guys have brought in more of a practice or uh, more specifics around naming them because the larger your company gets, I'm sure you've seen the harder it is for enough people to be around you guys or the right people at the center to really get the osmosis 
versus needing somewhat to be more passed on directly. Here's our culture. Here's our values. And I'm going to go a little more direct. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Is that a little bit of the stage you guys have been at once you got to 60, 70 employees? It's like, all right, the numbers themselves are dictating maybe a little less organic uh, of a relationship as we typically have and a little more direct. Yeah, um, you know, of course, we've acquired, I guess, three firms, uh, brought an employee in, and we're kind of starting uh, an office in Jacksonville. Mm. So those cultures were different. So we did have to deal with these different cultures. Um, uh, one of the uh, <clears throat> um, senior associate at the time of the, of the first firm we purchased um, is now on our executive team. Um, you know, and so we, we are, we, it is critical to us that we infuse and we spend a lot of time and energy sort of infusing who we are to our principals, to our associates, um, and things like that. So they can see us because we can't do it on day and day out with everybody. Um, and so it's critical to us that, that, that we do, you know, all get on the same page. I like to say, as long as we're on the same page, going in the same direction, you know, that means that we don't have tur as much turbulence going on. And so, you know, so if there's turbulence going on, it slows the ships down, right? You know, and, um, you know, so the, the key for us as leaders is to just try and make, if there is turbulence, find out what it is, try and, try and do something about it right away, and, and then get everybody back going in the same direction. So that's also what these values are all about, is getting people in the same direction, walking it out, not just for Josh and I, but for everybody, uh, especially those in a, a leadership that people are looking at position. And we got a lot of examples of people in those positions that do a really good job of exemplifying, um, you know, our values and, and walk it every day. And, uh, you know, and, and if we, we miss every now and then, which we will, we, like Josh said, we want to, we want to, it's an opportunity to celebrate that, to, to realign, to, to, to get people to see whatever it was that caused it, that yes, we, you know, our values take care of that issue, you know? Yeah. Because it isn't that everybody's perfect. It's it's that we, but it is important that we're all focused on a goal, and yeah. uh, and goals plural. But yeah, it's it's interesting. So changing changing directions just a little bit. One of the things that I think is interesting about interviewing you guys is, uh, yes, you've been on the Inc. Five Thousand list, which is you know the companies that we're interviewing. They've been on that list, but you guys have been around for a while, and I think we've interviewed quite a few that are like you kind of see. Uh, and almost the interviews get into like, how did you come up with this great idea? Because you've just been on this rocket pace from from the moment of inception. You've always always been there. You guys have had the you've been, you've been around for a while. You're you're going through acquisition. You you have some lifestyle uh, life cycles. You've seen you know multiple uh, recessions now of like just different economical things. Uh, where I'm what I'm interested in kind of finding out is uh, I love the show The Profit. Uh, maybe you've seen the show The Profit, People Process Product, right? Mm -hmm. Great show, Marcus Lemonis. Um, yep. You know, plug for Marcus. Good job, buddy. You can go watch his television show if anybody hasn't. <laughs> um, but what I'm curious about is like, uh, what is a significant people decision, and what is a significant like process decision that you guys have made, or, or are there any of those um, that really made the difference? Really, in, and you mentioned earlier, and this is where I wanted to come back to was, hey, we were a small firm for a while, and even made it on the Inc. Five Thousand as a small firm. But now we're a medium-sized firm, right? We made the leap into a newer atmosphere, and we're having to, you know, share new new challenges, like the core values thing that we mentioned. But were what were some of the differentiators? Was there a, a people decision that's like this is the way we we hired people or inspired people in a different manner, or you know, uh, we can do that one first and then maybe go to, to the process side of things. But any type of of overall just organizational leadership people decision that 
that change things? Sure. Um, Josh, can you cut off for a minute here so I can talk about you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Stick my ear. Oh, I want to get a big head here. Um, <laughs> 2000 was a critical year. We hired Josh, you know, year or two out of college or whatever. And, um, you know, I knew I saw something in him then. And uh, Debbie Chitwood had uh, probably six or seven years of experience. She came on to my team then. Both of them came into my team. We were split up into three teams then with the three partners, basically. Um, and, you know, they're both, uh, Debbie's on our executive team now, Josh is um, uh, obviously managing principal, uh, the fourth member I talked about is the guy from Asheville, Jeff, and, you know, so those, that, that decision, and then they, when the firm sort of blew up uh, with some financial issues in 2003, I guess is when it actually came down 2002. Um, you know, they were still here. We had a successful smaller business. We were down to seven people and we built up, built back up since then based on that foundation. And, and you know, it gave us the opportunity in hindsight to rebuild with a stronger foundation. Uh, the, the, we felt like the, the original foundation was strong. It turned out it wasn't. There were some pretty major fissures in it. And, um, you know, so we built on this foundation of people. Uh, there are success stories right and left of people that have been with us for 15 years now that are, that are now in key positions um, that were young architects at the time, like Josh was. And, you know, so it's, it's really, and again, that is the, so critical to us and so much what we talk about moving forward is how do we continue that theme now that we're 75 people? How do we get the young architects and make sure that they've got a career 10 years, 15 years from now that we're gonna, that somebody's gonna be on a blog post, Josh and somebody else, you know, <laughs> will be, uh, uh, you know, talking about. And, um, yeah. you know, so, uh, you know, so that is the key to our future. Is that people is letting go for me. It, it's, uh, it's been a constant process of letting go of my responsibilities, letting other people take them on. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's a key issue for our leadership moving forward is to constantly being ready, which means we have to give people uh, positions to rise to so other people can fill in. Um, but it's, a, it's an ongoing part of life and part of process that we uh, teach and we try to, uh, to nurture and um, uh, yeah. in, in growing people so that people, just like our clients, um, you know, so we can have a long-term relationship with our people. Uh, just yeah. like we have a long-term relationship with our clients. And those things feed off of each other. So um, anyway. That's awesome. that's Love that. Josh, how, how have you? How, how would you respond to, to that and see that same progression? <laughs> well, first, I'd like to say thanks to Tommy for all the kind words. But, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it, it, it comes down to, you know, it always comes down to people in the company. And again, just going back to what we were talking about earlier is, is that, you know, our strength, you know, as a company isn't, you know, isn't because of, it's because of our people. I mean, it's because of our talents that we have. It's because of our, our hiring now. It's because of how we, you know, we're attracting, you know, talent now, um, good talent now. Um, but, you know, it was all based on this foundation of, you know, that Tommy talked about um, before was, you know, when we were down to seven people and we just said, okay, well, what do we want to be and where do we want to go from here? Um, it's funny, there's a, you know, we were out at lunch. We went up to lunch up the street here and, and we were sitting, and I always remember this day, and we were sitting around the table and it was seven of us. And, you know, Tommy was like, where do we want to go from here? And this is back way back in 2002 when, you know, the partners had left and we just, you know, we're just sitting there eating sandwiches and like, okay, well, what do we do? And, you know, before you know it, and it feels like it was, that was just yesterday. It's so clear in my head where, you know, 77 people, five offices, you know, through acquisition, but, you know, we're, we're, we're just doing, still going and still doing those yeah. things. So, 
Um, again, I, you know, we, we've improved too. I mean, we've, we, you know, we've improved our hiring process where it's a lot more rigorous. Um, you know, we've improved our, our processes on how we find talent and where we go look for it um, with those people. We're very, very, very cautious about who we hire and how we hire now. Um, just making sure that we're, you know, getting the right people. You know, we're very transparent with what we're looking for and what we're trying to do. So again, it's just, it's that process of, and, and I always, it's a pitch that I always make during an interview is that we want people to be here for the rest of their careers. You know, yeah. we don't want this to be a jumping point between one place to another. You know, this isn't, you know, we want to, you know, give them a good foundation of where they can go, give them a, um, you know, an opportunity, a green field to run in. And, and with that, you know, with the ability to do that, we have to grow to be able to do that. But as we grow, we give them that green field to be able to do those things. So again, it's just, that, that's, you know, to me is, is important. And, and it's a, you know, just one more thing. It's, it's a two-way street. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's them buying into what we're trying to do as a company, but it's also Tommy and myself and our management team buying into what they want out of a career and really understanding what their goals are and what their long-term goals are and, and, you know, where they want to go and what they want to do and trying to align those with what the firm is doing. And then, you know, the, the magic secret sauce is having both of those happen, you know, that personally and professionally and for the firm, everything's just rising and, and going in the yeah. right direction. So. Man, that's that's fantastic. I love that. I thought just a one inside of we all have to grow. You know, I think that's just a fabulous thought around the company has to grow. You guys have to grow as leaders. Have to continue to be willing to let go of the vine when when the opportunities call to make sure you delegate those things, and then they have to to grow as well. Uh, you mentioned hiring processes. Any other just like significant process decisions that you were like, wow, this process actually just created such you know incredible results for us that helped us get over the hump or helped us even integrate culture. I mean, uh, a, a, you know, when you were making your acquisition, acquiring and kind of integrating those people into your culture, any other processes that you found, uh, Josh, Tommy, uh, any other, other ones that were significant? Um, you know, our client that we've had for, you know, 28 years now, uh, we do the same project type for them over and over again. And it's one mm -hmm. of the reasons why we came up with the, um, with the name Novus. Novus is Latin for new. And we just felt like doing kind of the same thing over and over again. We just had to constantly make sure we were taking a new approach at that so we didn't get stale. Um, and it really just has been a great word for us um, just throughout everything we do. So process and new are sort of at odds with each other, right? <laughs> so, um, Absolutely. <laughs> so I always imagine Marcus is going to come in and teach say, Tommy, quit shaking things up. You don't need to shake it up. <laughs> the process you're working on here. Yeah. You're going to be great for shake things up. But we you're certainly work with us. Pardon me? You'll be great friends with us, but maybe not Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, with, but we have this great opportunity with this client where we are doing great things. And Debbie, one of her great strengths is creating processes, creating yeah. new things. And she's, and I've moved basically totally out of the way now on this one client that I was with for years. Debbie's totally handling it. And she's got somebody else that's really stepping into her old role. And, um, you know, so she is a process person and we have created some wonderful processes with that client. Our drawings, we've had drawings come back from building departments saying this is the best set of drawings we've ever seen because we can take that to a higher, much higher degree than you can when you're just doing sort of a one-off. And so we take a lot of the processes that we've been able to learn and cultivate and develop and just mature 
uh, with CSL and we try to spread those to other parts of the company as much as possible where it's appropriate in terms of how we handle those process. So we have a great client that's totally process orientated. They are totally process orientated in what they, they do. We learn a lot just from kind of listening to how their business runs. And, um, you know, it's just, a, you know, I'm a student of business, uh, student of other operations. Every architectural firm you meet is going to be unique. I don't care, um, you know, how many you look at. They're all going to have something unique about them and how the way they do things and things like that. So our constant challenge is to, to come up with things that are uh, process orientated while yet still uh, leaving room for the individual in our firm and for the uniqueness, uh, which is why unique is one of our values, because, Every situation is unique, every person is unique, every client is unique, and their business is unique. And so being able to really try to get uh, that um, recognition uh, of that, that, okay, we got a process going on here, yay. You know, this process is good, boom, yeah. boom, boom. There's a downside to process too, especially when it comes to architecture, because everything in architecture is unique. Uh, each project, I don't care where we go, um, even though they're, it's a unique pro. Uh, process program, we're going into different spaces or different sizes or different things, there's different challenges. Uh, so even with our repetitive client, they're, they're all unique. And so to, to be able to recognize and to be able to, to go from process to unique and know when to go uh, and when to not go is, yeah. um, is, is the challenge for us as architects. And so we try to, we feel like that's how we as a bigger firm can, can create value over a smaller firm is through process. But we realize yeah. if we lose the uniqueness of what we're doing through that process or through that big firmitis, you know, we're going to lose the value that we gain by by the process. Wow! So, um, so it's a very uh, it's a very careful dance that we're dancing. That's yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, leaning into Pixar. Now I haven't I can't remember exactly everything because my world doesn't translate perfectly into Pixar. But just learning about their process of how they go through their creative process to create their their films is fascinating. And I remember how they were even talking about the structure of their office space, which is kind of interesting and maybe even a question we, we might follow down that path in COVID. But, you know, they, they're creating this space that actually facilitates some of the more creativity that they're looking for. But they're a place that is like, you know, they're built on having to do things unique that actually nobody's seen before. or They really are getting people's mm -hmm. attention. You know, that's the whole movie and in entertainment industry is they've got to be able to capture that. Um, but they're really process driven and the way in which they, they squeezed out the absolute best product. I thought that was, that was a mm. fascinating thing. And even encouraging for Drew and I are both lean on the creative side where we don't really want the, the structures, but we do find over time that actually, if you do put us in those frameworks, typically we can grow on top of those. And, and so uh, we said for years, bones, not boxes, that we really like bones that we can build on and kind of create our own kind of structure from. But a box, you know, will certainly break out oh, of that. Oh, thank you. Fast. <laughs> <laughs> I have a temper tantrum in boxes. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Act like my two-year-old really quickly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, what, you know, well, even on that Pixar story, what, uh, if you don't mind, we're just geeking out for a second on what you guys are talking <laughs> about. But I thought it was fascinating. They recognized um, that the, the type of table they had for their meetings were, was not conducive. When I first started reading that, I was like, all right. You guys are just looking for things to talk about how brilliant we were. But when they walked through the dynamic, it actually made sense. So they had a long rectangular table that all of their people involved in a creative process would be around, right? And what they noticed was all the conversation was typically coming out of the people in the middle, which made all the sense because the people in the middle were 
the most directly in the flow of the conversation. And everyone, as they got further away, felt like they had to shout across the table. And the people that were in the middle were like the most important people. There was the head producer or head writer. And so they went to a circular table so that no one was inherently in a place and an, an advantage to speak or disadvantage to speak. And that blew their creativity through the roof. The other thing I'm thinking about that I think is really brilliant that you said, Tommy, uh, is how new and process are often at odds with each other. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, this idea of the competing values framework, but it came out of some Michigan PhDs uh, where they, through their own research and their PhD program, found that there were always four values present in any company and that they were often at odds with each other, right? And what's so there's four of them. So one is teamwork and employee experience. Two is innovation and agility. Three is results and discipline. And the fourth is process and precision. And they so these are in a kind of a, a circular pie chart. And they said the ones that are across from each other are at natural odds with each other. And so guess which two are across from each other? <laughs> innovation and agility, which is new. And mm-hmm. process and precision. Right. Yeah. So you intuitively said what they found out in their own research, which is those yeah. on the surface are at odds with each other. But the whole point of the study was when you found out how they work together, when you learn to value when was needed, how it's needed, they actually can be incredible supports of each other. Right. right? And and that I think is the difference with you guys is finding how process has supported innovation versus one getting in the way of the other. Absolutely. And it's a constant, uh, you know, it's a constant, uh, you know, looking at it and, and questioning it and, you know, being willing to, to, to question it. And we have people in our company that they like to get something, they like to run with it. Yes. And, and you know, I'm, the, I'm sometimes the guy that puts on the brakes says, wait a minute, before we go off, let, let's, or have we considered ABCD? You know, I like to have all the options together, make sure before we, you know, get on something. And so those things, you know, that quality is great. You know, project manager, man, you, you know, that's a terrific quality to have. You know, um, but, you know, to try and get the, um, uh, you know, the wisdom or whatever to, to kind of see that, yeah, that quality isn't always the right quality in me, you know, mm. which is to put on the brakes or to, or to, you know, let's just, let's rethink this, you know, um, you know that's <laughs> not always the best thing, you know, so that play that card very carefully and play the go, go, go card very carefully. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so, uh, but then the other thing that struck me is the box uh, that you talked about. Uh, yeah. We used that expression back in, um, 2013, we came out of the recession really strong. You know, um, uh, we really didn't have to lay a whole lot of people off or anything like that. We had compared to a lot of firms, we did, we did real well. We were in good financial shape, making money, you know, but we felt like we were in a box, you know, we're in this really comfortable box and we just can't break out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was a repeat client box. It was same projects kind of box and, you know, kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, we didn't have the Portland and Charlotte office anymore. Uh, those went away in 2003. You know, but it always been in my heart geographically with a national client that we could provide value to that national client. We could provide value with, uh, um, you know, with this. And I love to travel. It might have something to do with it. So we, um, you know, so we started looking for firms to acquire and we acquired the firm in Asheville, um, got an SBA loan for it. And it didn't work out the way we expected to and how many things in life do. Um, But we got all kinds of benefits that we didn't expect. And, uh, and it did, it was step one in breaking us out of the box. And, um, 
you know, so we're, um, you know, we've successfully broken out of that box. And now it's sort of we're at that stage of what do we do with it? Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, what did you do for me today kind of thing. We got COVID going on and all of that. New sure. set of challenges. Um, but again, I, I remember that box well. I used to say, that's a comfortable box. I like this box, but we got to yeah. get out of it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I just can't be trapped in a box. It's just, it just doesn't work, you know? Um, so, so how did that, how did, <laughs> what do you think was the main thing that came out of that um, acquiring that led to breaking out of the box? Like what, what actually led, led that to new opportunities or a variety of projects, that kind of thing? Well, we, we did see that we would be perceived in a different light possibly by our clients, you know, uh, having another office. Um, and so that, that part of it, I think, ultimately happened. Real difficult to put your finger on any of that, especially after we got Atlanta and uh, then Charlotte. Um, those things really helped us to just break the perception of who we were um, and allowing us to be perceived differently, allowing us to get other work, which has happened. We've gotten some really good projects in, in the last couple of years. Um, and I think the other part of your question was what other things did we sort of get that we didn't expect? We have some great staff. Uh, that Asheville office had just wonderful staff. They get it's a quality of life issue up there. We've been able to do some great hiring up there. And through our ability to, to shift work around throughout the company, um, we've really been able to um, take advantage of that. Um, and, um, you know, so it's really become, a, you know, a foundational pillar for the company. And um, so that's, um, you know, that's some of the some of the things we can really point to as, as you know, just huge successes. Um, again, they weren't kind of what we expected. We thought that their book of work was going to be bigger, but a lot of their clients were leaving and were bought by other hospital systems or whatever. So through a lot of circumstances, we didn't have quite the work that we were expecting, um, but we got people and we got, um, and we got a perception change and we've got other things out of it. And now we have a pillar. Um, and so, um, you know, so we're, we're excited about that and, and our other offices as well. And uh, that, that we're in different stages of development and that's uh, with, and, uh, but that's, that's cool. That's a great answer. Uh, so last question before we, we dive into the lightning round, uh, I'll start with, with you, Josh, and then, uh, Tommy, we can end with your answer before lightning round. But, uh, so the primary audience who's, who's been listening to this podcast, obviously has been founders, people that are looking to learn from individuals like yourself that are a little further down the road and the fast growing company that they're trying to build in their industry. And so we just like to poke around with what we've been doing, like trying to figure out any of the things that would be helpful for them to listen to. And one that comes to mind, uh, there's a book written by Keith Cunningham called The Road Less Stupid. And I just love that phrase in general, uh, but I also love the humility built into a really successful person. And he, he uses this phrase called the dummy tax. And he looks back at his story and he's like, man, I had some costly dummy taxes, right? <laughs> Where the mistake I made uh, really was painful and costly. And if I could help anybody else not make that or have to pay that tax, that would be a gift. Um, and so up to your comfort level, uh, you can share details or not share details. It could just be principles. Um, but is there anything, if you were to be a chapter in that book that you were to pass on to some people building their company right now, what would help them go down a road a little less stupid? <laughs> I think, I think really taking the time and to really understand you know, who you are and what you're, what you actually are and not, not be something that you're not. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for, for, for me and for us is, is that, you know, probably six or seven years ago, you know, I was going, I, you know, I was director of business development at the time 
And I would be sitting down at the table with the clients and I'd be, you know, just trying to sell and, you know, hey, we'll be what you need us to be, you know, no matter, you know, we'll just do whatever. And that's mm. not right because it's not, it's not going to ever turn out right. You know, I've sat down in meetings before, you know, after learning that lesson and, 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 you know, sitting down and just saying, hey, this needs to be a good fit in both directions. Yeah. And, you know, we're not all things to all people. We're just never going to be. And, and you need to understand what, what that is and who we are. You know, we're, we're a high service company. We're probably not going to be the cheapest. We're, you know, we're going to get, you know, we're going to do the best that we can, no matter what, you know, they're just knowing those basic facts about yourself mm. and being true to those, those facts to me is, is, is probably what I would give people the lesson for is, is really knowing who you are and really knowing what your company can do and, and knowing your weaknesses as well as your strengths and being honest about it and saying, Hey, you know, we can't, we can't do that, but we can find somebody to help us do that or help you do that. And, right. and just being able to do that. So that's great advice. And that that's so scary early on when you're looking for customers, you, that's where you're tempted to yeah. be like, sure, we'll find a way to do that. Like yeah. we just need business right now, but it's a long-term trap. Right. Right. And I'm not saying, I mean, you know, we've done a lot of our healthcare work we've done by doing, you know, I never, you know, there's a Clemson actually has a healthcare program that I never went through. Um, but we did do, we've done things that we've never done before. And we've learned from those things, but you know, again, I think it's that fine line of, you know, going out and just really, you know, just being, again, just going back to be true to yourself. So it's great. Thank you, Josh. Yep. Tommy, what about, what about, what about you? What comes to mind? Well, a couple of different things. Um, you know, I, I said earlier that I <clears throat> founded the firm based on if, you know, if we serve clients, so I serve clients, clients will serve me. Um, and hang on one second. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Yes, come on, Zoom. Um, so, um, yeah, come on, come on in, sweetheart. <laughs> Join our podcast. Okay, you're, on the, you're on the BBC live. Let me flip the camera over here. We're, we're actually on vacation. Of course, that's usually when these things happen. Um, yes. And um, so, but, you know, I said, you know, we, we service clients, clients service us. The, the other thing, you know, that, that came to mind was don't do anything stupid. Um, so that when I heard you say that, it just reminded me of that. Um, you know, I was with the firm uh, before that, that uh, they lost a good chunk of their employees because they, the, the paychecks bounced. And then, and then when I was there, they uh, weren't paying consultants on a job. And I called up, said a consultant, I need, I need this. And they, they said, well, we haven't been paid. And I went to with a guy and he said, well, we've been paid, but we don't have the money to pay them. So those are some foundational, stupid stuff, things that we've mm -hmm. never done. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what strikes me that, yeah, the, it's the stupid stuff that, you know, you can take years and years of work and you can throw it down the drain with stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, we, um, um, you know, had a, a, a client that, uh, that didn't pay us. And that's one of the things that sort of took us uh, into our troubles in, in the early 2000s, um, you know, and it, we didn't have a solid enough financial basis to, uh, you know, to bridge that gap. And then the glue between the partners wasn't strong enough to, 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 you know, go make it through that, um, that problem. Um, and, you know, so certainly learn from that, learn from what happened out in Portland and Charlotte with those two offices, um, right aid stock went from $50 down to a buck, um, about that same time. And, you know, <clears throat> so they sort of went away and uh, so did our Portland office and then the, the, the Charlotte office was wrapped up and that client that didn't pay. Um, yeah. So there, again, learning experiences, you know, 
it was um, it was a very trying experience for for me uh, for us. Um, and as Josh said, it was just a great opportunity. Debbie likes to say, you know, I used to look around the room before that, and there was you know thirty five people, and I was like six or seven on the pecking order chain or whatever. All of a sudden, I went up to number two. It was like, <laughs> yay! <you know? laughs> um, but anyway, so these challenges, the things, you know, yes, there's stupid stuff, but you know, you've got to face them. You got to recognize you did it, or or it happened, or whatever happened. Yeah. Sometimes it anything stupid you did, but it was just set of circumstances that happened, and then you face them. Uh, that's my thing, face what you do. Mm. Be honest about it, that's where trans transparency come, comes in. Uh, you could not get away with all kinds of stupid stuff with clients and staff. If you immediately recognize it, you're immediately transparent about it. Um, yeah. And you immediately work to correct it. Um, and, um, you know, I think those are those are the, the, the challenges. So that's the, that's the word I'd give people. That's yeah. so good, especially when you do something stupid own it and then immediately do something to correct it. Cause people have all kinds of grace for you and sometimes even grow in respect for you on the other side of a mistake <laughs> where like the, because you were human, you owned it and then you worked to correct it. They actually kind of gained trust in you. We had a guy, Michael Brody Waite, on the podcast uh, yeah. who was a, a former um, full on drug addict and was living on the streets, mm. kicked out of his house. He ended up starting a, a healthcare company uh, that grew up that on the backside of his recovery, right? So he was already in recovery, became the CEO of this healthcare company that exploded. And he realized not only for his sobriety, but even his business needed to reflect the keys to his sobriety, which was, and one of them was like radical authenticity. And he had to, he had to live by, it was like his new code, because if he didn't, he would slip back into his ways. And when they were just taking off, they thought they were going to go under and they landed a huge hospital contract that was going to not just help them survive, but explode their business and they found an error so one of his they had a software program and one of his people came and caught an error and it was a small error it was nothing to do that involved a patient or hurt anybody and he's like we already know what the problem was and we corrected it no need to report it and he said his whole team was pushing him to like don't report it you're gonna blow this deal up it's not a big deal and he was going to do it and he got a call from somebody that he was sponsoring an aa that was going through an issue and he's there like, I don't know what to do. He's like, of course, you know what to do. Radical authenticity he starts listening off the stuff and it hit him. Oh, man, I'm not doing that. So he calls them, tells the lady who's in charge of the deal what happened and is bracing for the news. And she starts laughing. And he's like, why are you laughing? Are we are you going to fire me? And she said, typically, when someone makes a mistake in our industry, it's not one. It's like a thousand. And they don't tell us about it. And so she said, the fact that you told us about it, not only are we going to continue our contract with you, but we trust you even more now, and we're going to give you even more business. And I was like, holy, that was like the coolest example of, <laughs> of not just it working out, but like doing the right thing actually can build more trust on the back end, right? Which is Absolutely. really cool. Um, and you guys, again, that, I think that's why I resonated so much with you. I could tell from the moment we started talking, not just that you're two Clemson alums like me uh, and Jordan. <laughs> Yeah, but there's just an air of of integrity uh, and transparency and authenticity that comes from both of you uh, that I know has served your business in the long run. So, thank you for that, guys. We're gonna jump into the lightning round. Lightning right now. round. Let's do it. Uh, you guys can decide who answers first. Uh, all right. Question number one: If you could ingrain one message into your organization, what would it be? Do you want me to go first, Tommy, or do you want to? Uh, take but if you're ready, go. I, I, yeah, okay. I, All right. Yeah. I would say I would say be true to yourself. If I was going to give one message to everybody in the company, 
you know, really know what you want, really, you know, be honest um, with your weaknesses, be honest with your strengths, you know, just really, you know, understand what those things are. And I always say, ask the question. If you don't know, it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know in front of the client. So uh, just ask the question and just say to the client, hey, I, I don't know. And, but I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find out for you. And I know exactly who to ask. And I'm going to have that to you in two hours. And, yeah. and don't worry, you know. And I think that's probably one of the most important things. Love that, Josh. Uh, Tommy, what do you think? Well, I was going to point to our values of <clears throat> just say trust. And uh, of course, that, that word encompasses a, a, just a ton uh, of different things. But it, it is the key ingredient in any relationship is trust. And it's when things, when the trust isn't there, you know, life just gets really difficult real fast. And so, you know, if you're ever recognizing a situation where you don't, you know, where you can't give trust to somebody else. And that's the other thing I'd say about trust. You know, a key component is giving trust to others. Yeah. And just, you know, even though it may not always be warranted or whatever, you know, and, and you've got to give it to receive it. And yeah. so, um, you know, so just recognizing the trust uh, is is so important. And if it's not there, you know, dig in and find out why and what, what's causing it and not to be there. And uh, uh, but that, you know, in any, you know, whether it's a short term thing or a long term thing, you know, that's ultimately what you want to um, not be too busy to 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 make sure that that's there. And that's fantastic. Things can get you too. <clears throat> love that. Uh, question number two. Uh What's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what's the worst? Well, I'll take that. Yo, you want to do that, Tommy? Go ahead. I'll take that one. Um, so my uncle um, had a, he had a heat and air business up in Boston. And, um, and he, um, you know, he told me, you know, don't ever give up more than 50%, you know, don't ever go into under 50% ownership. And, um, you know, and so I've always been one of these people that really wanted to bring other owners in and things like that. That's the way the firm grew originally and things like that. And I hadn't given up the 50% at that time. And that's probably why we're here today. Um, you know, so it's a, you know, that was sort of a, a foundational thing for me that stuck with me. It was one phone call, probably lasted 10 minutes, you know, back when I was in my twenties, just started a business and he had been through a couple of partners or whatever. And obviously that was the voice of experience. And, you know, as I, at that, at that original formative first six, seven, eight years, um, you know, that, that voice stuck in my head. Um, and, uh, you know, we were on a po- uh, road then of ownership transition. We're getting ready to go through that again. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's something to kind of keep in mind that, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that that's real important. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Josh, what do you think? What's the worst advice you've received? What's the worst advice? I was going to give the best was surround the best that I got was surround yourself with people that disagree with you and, yeah. and have a council. So that's that. probably the best best advice I could give. Um, the worst advice I could, I've gotten is you have to do everything yourself, and yeah. you know nobody can do your job other than you. And and you know unfortunately we work in a world of people. And, you know, you're, you're where you're at right now. And you, you're the one that needs to be doing all that stuff. And that's just, yeah. just not true. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I uh, love that. Uh, let's see. Number three. Uh, we'll start with, we'll start with you, Josh, on this one. Uh, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? Today in the world of COVID and not seeing everyone's face in the office every day, it's the people and the stresses that they have at home. I and mean, we've got, 
you know, staff with three kids, husbands traveling, virtual learning, full-time job, client, you know, I mean, it's just, just the pressure that people have outside of what's happening. And I just get so concerned about the people because yep. you used to be able to come into the office, look at people's faces and see what's happening. And yeah. um, it's just, it, you know, we have this virtual thing happening and we can do those kind of things, but it's just, it's just not the same. Not the same for sure. Tommy. Hmm, good, good question. Um, I'm struggling with, the, <clears throat> with an answer, but um, so to me, the biggest worry is to worry, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, and one, one thing good, you know, being 61, I'm 61 and been through the ups and the downs and things like that. Is it does give you a perspective. Uh, that worrying really doesn't help. The other thought that occurred to me is is really the, the person I worry most about is myself, you know, and, and really to try to make sure that I am stepping in when I should, not stepping in when I shouldn't, you know, that my vision is sound. It is not based on any, um, you know, any bad motivations by me, but they're grounded on good motivations. And so, you know, I really take a lot of time to, to keep myself healthy, to keep myself uh, mentally um, uh, on the right, you know, um, page with, with, with whatever's going on. And that's, yeah. that's one of the biggest things. I don't necessarily really worry about it, but I'm constantly having to sort of let go of it, yeah. if you will, and to let go of any worry, let go of that. Um, and, you know, so I would just encourage other people just to, to try and realize that everybody's been where you've been before <laughs> and yeah. they made it through, you know, one way or the other. I made it through all kinds of situations. And, uh, you know, so the worrying doesn't really help. You know, it only helps if it motivates you or, or you know, kind of spurs you. It can be very negative or it can be good or it can be negative. So be aware of that. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm looking at the the white mustache right now and I'm thinking, <laughs> is that the wisdom of the white, right? Where you, <laughs> you, get, you get gray. Like I've got gray hairs in my beard for yep. the first time ever since I started my business, right? <laughs> And I'm yeah. like, you get gray hairs from worrying, which is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually you get to the white hairs, which is, I don't worry anymore, right? <laughs> exactly. yeah. That's good. I love it. We need that. <laughs> we definitely need it. Uh, what's what's the current BHAG? What's the big, hairy, audacious goal for, for Novus right now? I can take that one. We have a 20, we call it a 30 by 30, by 30 um, initiative that's happening. So... We'd like to have 30 offices and or, you know, the amount of staff um, by 2030. So we're looking at that type of pace of growing. We've been growing 20% each year for the last four or five years. So, you know, you can quickly do the math to see where we'd be at by 2030. Awesome. That's, a, that's golden, guys. Uh, let's see. Uh, last question. Uh, get your answer for, from both of you guys on this one. Uh, if you could hop in a, in a DeLorean. We're going to go back to the future here. Hop in a DeLorean, <laughs> go back to your past. Uh, you're going to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window. Uh, when would you go back and what would you say to yourself? I'll, I'll, I can start. I, I would go back to when I was in my 20s and just tell myself, hey, you're not in control. You know, um, God's in control. You know, um, whatever happens is going to happen and just enjoy the ride you know, look around. Yeah. That's very cool. Appreciate that. Tommy. Darn Josh, you stole mine. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you can go back to Josh when he was 20. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, 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 it was again, back to the not worry thing. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I look back on and, you know, they were sort of, I can't really say that they were bad. 
you know, yeah. they didn't go the way I wanted to at the time, but man, things worked out good, or you know, in the end. And so I can't really point to any, you know, significant thing and say, oh, I wouldn't have done this, wouldn't have done that. But I, yeah. again, I, I think it is the worry that I went through, the stress in those early years, you know, and it came because I just I couldn't see the future, and I felt like I needed to. That was my job. And, uh, you know, so to let go and to not worry about these things that you can't worry about and worry about the things that you can do something about, it's just a, you know, it, it's really easy and cliche to say, um, <laughs> very difficult to do. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, if I could yeah. turn a button and, and make myself do that back then, uh, life would be better today. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'd love that. I think that can't be, that can't fall on deaf ears in this podcast. I, because for me, I even feel of like just the need to see the future. Right. And just the reality of like, it always robs you from the present mm-hmm. and you don't need to worry about anything. Like, uh, I do like, uh, a, a mentor of mine said, it's not a problem until it's a problem. And it was just that sense of, yeah, like you're in the business of solving problems, but like, don't try to solve all of them. Like wait till they arrive in the present. And then when they, when they show up, like you're plenty smart enough, you got people around you, like you're going to be okay. And it just eliminated so much worry of like, Hey, it's not a problem until it's a problem. So yeah, personally, I thank you. Thank you for that one, Tommy. I just love the idea. I know it wasn't true, but the idea of Tommy's answer being going back to Josh. <laughs> going back to Josh's past. I'm going back to when he was 20. All right. <laughs> I got to tell that little guy. <laughs> Be a little nicer to Tommy. That was what <laughs> love it, guys. Well, thank you so much for for being honest, transparent, uh, really living your values here on the podcast today. I know this has been immensely valuable to us uh, as business builders for our own company, as well as for those listening, uh, especially Tommy tuning in here on your vacation. Uh, thank you for making the time to do that, both of you. And uh, we so enjoyed getting to talk with you and get to know you. And uh, guys, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you. We really appreciate being here. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Thanks, Jordan. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.